Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 31, and we are continuing our journey through the book of Luke. Uh, today, we are reading uh, Luke 4. Uh, this is where we have detailed information on the temptation of Jesus. And uh, so we're going to just jump into it. Thanks for taking the time to follow this. Um, I pray that it blesses you. I thank you those who are tuning in from other countries around the world. I welcome you here, and I, I appreciate that you would take the time to uh, hear what I would like to share and what the Lord puts on my heart. And I pray that it ministers to those who know the Lord and who don't know the Lord, uh, that it would bring you closer to knowing God through the person of Jesus Christ. So we'll just jump right in to Luke chapter 4. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. So, just to point out, uh, Jesus is baptized and after this baptism, uh, we, you can also read uh, this account in Matthew 4 as well as Mark chapter 1. Um, but Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. And he returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Um, some translations will... Uh, render this was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Uh, so, so you may you may get some different translations depending on what you're reading out of. Um, but I think it is important, to, though, just noticing that right off. Um, it was it was God's intention to walk hand in hand with Christ into this wilderness. And the devil used this um, divine moment to tempt him into succumbing to his wishes. But Jesus prevailed and did not succumb to his temptation. And it said, for 40 days, he, Jesus, was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all. During those days, and when they were over, he was famished, or he was hungry. And I would imagine so, 40 days, uh, not no eating. You know, Jesus wasn't the only one who, um, who fasted 40 days. We also see that with Moses. Um, that's just one that comes to mind at the moment, but uh, I believe there are others that we can read in the biblical account. I've heard of uh, people in different um, in different ministries or just p 
people maybe not even in the forefront of ministry, but um, having do having done forty day fasts, it's it's a significant breaking of the desires of the flesh, breaking of your will, um, and whatever the Lord puts on your heart. I I cannot stress enough the um, the value that one can get through fasting. Um, it is unique to the person what what God puts on your heart what he's trying to accomplish. Um, I will just take a second to to kind of plug um, a small little book that I wrote, uh, The Biblical Context for Fasting. And it uh, it's actually a link. There should be a link to it in the uh, show description, uh, the episode description for, the, for these. Um, and at, I believe every episode... And you can find it on Amazon, but it's it's actually uh, a pretty a pretty profound study that I had walked in, just started, and it grew and grew and grew. So I just turned it into a book. But uh, you know, my my understanding of fasting was very one dimensional, um, and as I began to to see what does the Bible show us, or what can it tell us about fasting, what was some of the context for fasting. Um, so it's, it's deeply profound, and, and, I, and I walked away from it with quite a, a significant uh, broadened appreciation for fasting and, and the how and why behind it. Um, and so I, uh, I was very intentional about keeping it very biblical, very rooted in Scripture and what it has to say rather than uh, what man has to say. So I pray that maybe you take a look at that um, and see if that would be something that might bless you. But nonetheless, Jesus, 40 days fasted, and he was hungry. <laughs> and in verse 3, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. The very first tactic that the devil used is questioning the identity of of Jesus. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. He was hungry. We know that, 40 days of fasting, it says it explicitly. And the first thing that Satan went after was, uh, was the identity of Christ. And, and this is what he does to us even today. For, but verse 4, Jesus answered him, It is written, so he goes to Scripture, one does not live by bread alone. So Jesus responds to him with a, a scriptural response. Verse 5, Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I will give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. So I just want to here also point out um, just a, an idea or a, or a couple things. Um, it is important to realize that what the devil said to you I will give their glory, the glory of, of the authority of, over the kingdoms. For it has been given over to me. So devil, the devil makes that statement. And Jesus actually doesn't correct him. 
Um, and so it, um, because he says, for it has been given over to me. Now, I think, I believe that this is, was given over to him by Adam and by Eve. They, they forfeited their authority that through a compromised identity. And so I believe this is actually who, who the devil is speaking of by it being given to him. And so Jesus doesn't actually correct him, and he allows him to make that statement. And he says, I will give it to anyone I please. If you will worship me, it will all be yours. So that reveals what was on the heart of the devil. He wanted worship. He wants worship. And, and the devil promises him this authority and glory because of the authority. He promises him that, Jesus, in exchange for worship. So that should tell you how significant and important worship is. And worship isn't always just in the form of we're standing in church and there's music happening and we may or may not be raising our hands. We may or may not be praying. We may or may not be emotionally moved. Worship doesn't just look like that. Worship can also look as how are you spending your time? What are you giving your attention to? What is controlling or determining the pathway of your heart? These things are also worship. And so we must self-assess and see what is it that dictates and controls the course of our day-to-day life. Because it is that thing that we may be perhaps worshiping. Um, so it's very important to keep in mind, and it is very important and critical, really, to consider the importance of worship. In fact, the devil offered an exchange that was the value that he placed upon worship. And so um, we must be very mindful of this. But Jesus replies back again, keeping to Scripture, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Verse 9, then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple. Now, I think that's kind of fascinating. This is just, uh, I want to draw your attention. It said the devil took him and placed him. I think that's interesting. It's interesting language to me to consider or to think the thought the devil took him and placed him. You know, we're talking about Jesus, the God himself, creator of all things created through and for him, God in the flesh. And here we see this language used that the devil took him and placed him. Now, obviously, if Jesus did not intend for anything to happen or to occur to him, he being God, Almighty, all-powerful, can allow or not allow anything to happen. So this was, this was all part of uh, God's plan through Christ. Um, but it is kind of fascinating to me, this type of language used. And the, and the devil says to him, If you are the Son of God, 
Here he is again, challenging Christ's identity. Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. So now we see the devil actually quoting some scripture. And um, he is, the devil is manipulating scripture to fit his context, his agenda. Um, we see this very often in, in even in the church. Um, scripture uh, misappropriated to, to uh, I guess, gird up our objectives, our agenda. Um, unfortunately, that happens all too often. Um, but again, like I said, we do see the devil again going after the identity of Jesus. And we face this more often than we realize, these attacks on our identity. Um, you know, we have, we may have people close to us saying that we're, we're no good or we're, we're failures or we're disappointing, we're this or that. And as a child of God, the Bible has something altogether different to say about who we are, you know, as a believer, as a follower of Christ. Um, we are the righteousness of God, and that is obtained through Christ. And so we are um, constantly barraged under attack in challenging who we are, our identity, and as long as we have a rooted connection to Christ, our identity is of infinite value because your value is determined by the price that one is willing to pay for you. And because God valued you so much by offering, by giving his only son, this is, um, this is a determining value for how much you are valued. So Jesus responded to him in verse 12. and he, Jesus responded to Satan and said, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. And this is, again, exactly what the devil does. He likes to, to um, be on the hunt, the prowl, looking for weakened opportunities to, to interject himself and to attack you in your vulnerable or weakened states. Uh, this is, we see this in the animal kingdom. And so this tactic is, is nothing new, and it is continued use by the enemy. Again, Jesus stays rooted in Scripture, and so too must we in our life as we way um, how we are to proceed through life. We must stay biblically rooted in Scripture and in the divine guidance that God has given us, both in His written word and as He speaks to us in our current day. Verse 14 says, Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee. Now, just to pause there, on, at the beginning of uh, verse 1, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Now in verse 14, 
Jesus was filled with the power of the Spirit. So I think this wilderness period is something that we must go through. It's a full denial of self. I think, and I believe that this is where Jesus actually met the requirements of the law, fulfilled it fully and wholly, and from that place of death of self, he was able to then to proceed into what God had planned for him, filled with the power of the Spirit. You see, if we if there is not an appropriate denial of self, then if we were to have that measure of power of the Spirit, then it would consume us, it would crush us, it would be dangerous for us. So I, I believe there is a is a death to self that must occur for each of our lives for us to be enabled to walk in the full power of the Spirit. Um, and so he returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. That sounds familiar. And remember how fast people can turn. Verse 16, when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I actually recorded a podcast episodes just several episodes back on this very text, so I won't go into huge detail on this uh, just for purposes of time and to not reiterate it. So I definitely recommend you to go back and, and check that one out on Luke 4 that I have done recently. But um, I, do, I do just imagine the setting where everyone is in awe and shock over what has just been said. There's a weight, uh, uh, W-E-I-G-H-T, a weight to what he is saying, and there is a significance in the air that people can notice. Verse 20 says, And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? You can see here that there was some offense uh, creeping in. Verse 23, He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, 
all in the synagogue were filled with rage. And why would they be filled with rage? Why such a switch? Um, as I'd said in the previous episodes, um, I do believe that it, it is because they the people here had such a high respect for Elijah and Elisha. And they, Jesus is reminding them that they were not sent to the people of Israel. They were sent to Gentiles. And, and not only Gentiles, but leprous ones and widowed women. These would have been the, the lowest tiers of people. And Israel did not get these mighty men of God. Why? Jesus is saying, a prophet is not accepted in his own hometown. So he's reminding them, you look up to these men, these prophets of days gone by, but in fact, your, your people, your forefathers, didn't appreciate them, just like you are not appreciating me and in the, and in the significance that I come in. So they are greatly offended, and they go from speaking great praises of him to being filled with rage. So much so, it says in verse 29, they got up and drove him out of the town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off this cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. They wanted to kill him. They were going to. However, this is very encouraging. But he passed through their midst and went on, their, on his way. When God has other plans, it doesn't matter what the enemy tries to throw at you. It's not going to work. When God has other plans, you can be confident and rest assured that his will, his desires will come to pass. Who can undo the desire of the Lord? Verse 31, he went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astounded at his teaching because he spoke with authority. In the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. When the demon had thrown him down before them, he came out of him without having done him any harm. They were all amazed and kept saying to one another, What kind of utterance is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and out they come. And a report about him began to reach every place in the region. You know, that, that verse in 37, a report about him began to reach every place. You know, it to me it's such a uh, kind of a call out that, you know, in our day, we are so fixated with with pushing our message, with with advertising and marketing what we're doing or what God is doing. It's but here we see that the report, the the words about him were spreading. He wasn't having to spread anything. These things were being said about him. I just wonder, um, even in our day, you know, I, I pray that that God would move so powerfully through men and women, boys and girls, that that the conversation would begin to change, and and 
the workings of God would be propagated and people would begin to to be speaking of what God is doing. And we wouldn't have to try to market ourselves or push push our plans or our our strategies. The people would be talking. Verse 38, after leaving the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. Then he stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. Immediately she got up and began to serve them. I've done a short little uh, study and uh, where I looked at the different approaches, I guess maybe a good word, uh, approaches of how Jesus um, approached healing what he said, how he did, um, not so much the mechanism by how he did it, but, um, see, here in this case, Jesus rebuked the fever. He didn't ask God, please heal her. He rebuked the fever. And so, there's, if you just go through, throughout the Gospels and kind of paint a picture of how he would approach healing... It's very fascinating. So I would encourage you to do that. Immediately she got up and began to serve them. Verse 40, As the sun was setting, and all those who had any who were sick with various kinds of diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on each of them and cured them. Demons also came out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Messiah. At daybreak, he departed and went into a deserted place. The crowds were looking for him, and when they reached him, they wanted to prevent him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he continued proclaiming the message in the synagogues of Judea. Um, I just want to leave you with one closing thought, and that is, the good news. We, we often use this phrase, and as good-intentioned as it is, it is sometimes only a partial reality. When we talk about the good news, um, I think many of us can associate and understand the, the idea of the good news of what Jesus did for us, what he was attempting to or rather what he accomplished through the restoration of relationship to God. But good news as that is, it's also the good news of the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God. And and this is just as much good news as the opportunity for salvation and deliverance. So we must keep that in mind. The kingdom of God is something that is often just kind of pushed to the side, and and sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming and even confusing. Um, but just really, I think I would encourage you to pay close attention to the use through the Gospels on the kingdom of God. It is a phrase used and and a topic that Jesus preached really more than anything throughout his ministry, at least from what we can read, you know, documented through through the Gospels, uh, the kingdom of God. So let us uh, keep that the forefront of our minds, remembering that 
that that is just as much the good news, um, the sovereign rule and reign of God upon the earth. So I pray that uh, this word blessed you. I pray that uh, God uh, waters the the seed of his word, um, that it would reach those in faraway places, uh, that people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ, and that they would be filled and full of the Holy Spirit, that they would deny themselves, follow after uh, Christ with all of their heart, and that we would go out and be world changers, that we would be fires set for the kingdom of God to destroy the works of the devil and multiply the goodness, the love, and the mercy of Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit. So I thank you for taking the time, and God bless you. Until next time. If it means I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you. And in your house I hold